Before we begin, I want to thank the sponsor of Oil & Gas Upstream, Oliva Gibbs. Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil, gas, and mineral law issues nationwide. We believe that when we focus on serving people, good things happen in the lives of our clients and employees. We just happen to be a law firm. Learn more at oglawyers.com. Oil and Gas Production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream Podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil & Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for Oil & Gas Upstream Research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE, founded Energia Consulting, and joined the Oil & Gas Global Network as a podcast host. I invite you to go to the OGGN website and check out all the other podcasts in the network and the new merchandise that's available. Maybe even pick up the Oil & Gas Upstream t-shirt that reminds us that only the bit finds oil. And don't forget to sign up for OGGN's weekly newsletter, Sunday Update. All the links are in the show notes. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Mike Antosh, VP of Sales at Prolytics. Hi, Mike. Thanks for being with us on the podcast today. Hello, Elena. Thanks for having me. I've been uh, excited and ready to have a great conversation with you. Oh, great. Thank you. I love it. I'm going to go a brief brief overview of your um uh, resume here. It's uh, pretty pretty complete. You're a graduate of Texas A&M with a bachelor's in mechanical engineering technology, and you um, are a member of the Corps of Cadets and Ross Volunteer Company. Is that like a military kind of connection? Yeah, it's an ROTC program at A&M. A&M started as a military academy, and um, and they still carry forward that ROTC program. So I got a chance to participate in that which was great for leadership experience and, and of course, uh, you know, a good challenge. Um, I did not take a military contract, but uh, it's very similar to what you, you know, Virginia Tech has a cadet corps like that. Um, the Citadel has a cadet corps like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was. A- My daughter was um, Air Force ROTC at Embry-Riddle um, before she studied um, astronautical engineering. So, you know, we kind of nice. understand how important that discipline and early training is, especially for young people. So wonderful. That's great. Great. Well, you bring that to your career, I guess, all of that discipline and order and structure. So, so great. So you began your career in the control systems and automated automation engineering department at Mustang Engineering in Houston. And then you moved to engineering and design uh, systems department. You are part of the founding team of Prolytics in 2016, and I guess you love basketball and coaching. <laughs> yeah, I always tell people when I grow up, I want to be a basketball coach. Um, oh. So I still haven't grown up yet, and I'm, I'm aiming. that That's my eventual uh, trajectory. Great, great. I love basketball, and I was really tall when I was young. But I never grew after that, so I'm too <laughs> short for basketball. But I do not hesitate to throw trash into the trash can. <laughs> Very proud of that. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, let's get going here and tell us if you can tell us a little bit about uh, Prolytics and um, all the great things that you're doing there. Uh, yeah, sure. We are a company that fits, and we, we like to 
label it as like engineering tech, somewhere between the engineer, the fundamental engineering, um, and the IT worlds. And uh, you know, as I think I described it uh, to someone recently, if you if you go back to the beginning of engineering, you know, if you look at the drafting rooms and the you know the big paper and pencil and you know the space shuttle concept, you know, whatever we were building at the time. It was really just engineering at that point. It was just drawing a drawing. At some point, computers came in in the 70s and 80s, and you began to get IT in the room. So now you had engineering in the room, and you had IT in the room. Um, And actually, uh, as IT became more and more important, um, there became a need in the 2000s to have a third part of that discussion, which was the liaison between those two groups because it wasn't simply enough anymore for the IT team to give a computer to an engineer and they could do everything. Now you needed some understanding and coordination between what the engineering team was trying to do and the tools they were trying to use and what the IT team was trying to provide. So we are that liaison, that bridge between engineering and IT, which is critical in today's world where you're talking about databases and you're talking about AI and software development and how all of those things play into modern engineering. So that's, that's what we do is we fit right in that space and help in, in that uh, engineering tech space. Great, Mike. So tell us about, uh, tell us about Prolytics. Okay. Well, um, Elena, we are an engineering tech firm. Um, and we basically fit right in between the fundamental engineering uh, discipline that you may think of, calculations of physics and chemistry and, and up to construction. Uh, we fit right in between there and information technology. So the information technology side, of course, is the servers and the clouds and software. So in the middle, there's a very important space to take all of those engineering concepts and be able to use them in modern technology. So all of your calculations and your design ideas to put those into the modern engineering applications and databases and AI technology and everything that facilitates the the major modern product project. And our company is a consulting uh, firm and, and a development firm in that space of engineering tech. Great, great. So just for people who have not been in the oil business for 40 years and think it's always been about AI, um, it's not. (laughs) It hasn't Uh always been that way. So in the beginning, we had, and we still have, but we had, could only rely on the human brain of a multi-discipline team to try to understand what we had in the subsurface. From a geologic perspective, what did it look like? From a reservoir perspective, what would it take to get the um, uh, fluids out of there? From a, a, a reservoir engineering perspective and then a production engineering perspective, what would it take to get it up out of the ground and into the market? And we had uh, we would wave our arms to try to describe the reservoir. We would uh, uh, draw diagrams. We would do um, technical drawing uh, by hand. Uh, and that's where we were then when the engin- when the uh, computers came in, we were able to do more susp- sophisticated um, uh, calculations, uh, a model 
prior to the computer was uh, consisted of like a spreadsheet, a hand-drawn spreadsheet. And then when the computers uh, were more prolific in the office, engineering office, oil and gas company offices, then we were able to build spreadsheets um, that were, uh, you know, uh, like Excel. And the early days were not Excel, not as good. But the point is, is that we had this evolution. And then when we got to the place where computers were, you know, personal computers were available. It was very easy to um, to work. Uh, then you had specialists in the IT field who were not engineers, and you had engineers uh, working with computers who were not computer scientists. Uh, so that interface was very, very tricky, and still is very tricky as the the technical questions we ask ourselves are more complex and as the capabilities of software and uh, computer capabilities are uh, more sophisticated. So it was always very frustrating to me to try to communicate to an IT person what it was I needed. They thought they understood what I needed. They'd give me something and walk away and then I have to sort of figure it out. So I, I love this concept of having someone in the middle who speaks both languages and is kind of, you know, comes in and comes out. Do I have that about right with respect to where you come into the equation uh, for producers or, or anyone working in the engineering field trying to get a oh, result? Yes, you sure do. It's, it's a bit of, uh, there's a translation needed. There's a transformation of concepts and, um, you know, you have the IT world is progressing so fast, right? I mean, I still remember using floppy disks in, in college and things like that. Right. Um, I've got, I've got more power in my, in my phone, you know, than, than companies had in the eighties, uh, computing power, but just having the power, just having the software does not immediately translate to success. Um, and so you've got engineers that still have this fundamental desire to do calculations and physics and chemistry. And now there are new tools available that IT can provide. But understanding why those tools are to be put into place, how that engineer might need to be helped along in order to be successful, um, that's really been a challenge in the industry. So, yeah, you hit it right on the head. There's a need for someone in the middle to, to translate between the two and then get all of the, the benefit out of the tools that you can. Uh, and that's, that's really where we find a focus and help people really be successful. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, where does a company start and what, uh, you know, what's the profile of a company who can take the best advantage, um, of what you have to offer? I mean, some of the giant companies have, you know, whole units who kind of, do stuff like this. And then there's really yeah. small companies that don't. Yeah. We had experience within a large engineering company, um, started out as Mustang engineering. It's now known as wood. Um, and, and in, in the mid two thousands, that company created a group for these, um, middle ground, what I'll call engineering it for lack of a, not, not in, not necessarily in the engineering department, not in the it department, a special systems integration group. Um, now, the, the challenge there was our role was to make that company better, to be able to make that company be able to execute with the latest and greatest technology and deliver uh, the best projects. Um, I think where we saw a gap was that where was that skill available on the open market? Where was it available to maybe the owner operator side of the industry? And there really wasn't a clear answer for that. Um, and so what we were seeing was that engineering companies 
were moving at a more sophisticated, they were moving at a faster pace toward more sophisticated use of the 3D model, uh, smarter drawings, database systems. And then what was happening is when a project would be completed to give it to the owner, the actual facility operator, uh, they weren't ready for those complex systems. And so sometimes a lot of the intelligence and efficiency that was built during the project was sort of simplified, put on paper, and gone to a more traditional, here's your, here's your documents, here's everything. And that, unfortunately, was loss of knowledge. It was a loss of potential energy where the whole industry could be better if we could take the sophistication that the engineering teams were using to build the project and then just host it and keep it available for the analytics of running the plant and maintaining the drawings and doing the future upgrades and all of those things. So, well, we were really, the idea of prolytics was born out of the concept of you really need to be able to take the sophistication that projects are being built with and allow them to execute and operate the facility with that intelligence for the long term. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And and let's unpack that a little bit. So how does um, someone a- approach and begin and translate if they haven't, you know, spent a lot of time in that space? How do you tackle that? How do well, you know the, when you're ready for it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the term in the industry is a digital twin. Um you know, and, and you don't really think about it when you're engineering a project, you're building a digital version of this thing that you're going to build, right? So you build it in theory first, digitally, and then you bring it to life with actual piping and steel and concrete and whatnot, you bring it to life. Um, but then once you have it, you still want to have that digital version that you can check the way that you're operating, you can find information, you can study it. And that was what's getting lost. Once the real facility was built, then the digital twin version was being lost. So when you're um, when you're looking at a facility, if you're an operator now and, and you hear the buzzword, well, we need to have this digital twin. Um, there's there's a there's a method of sort of rebuilding that um, and creating the image of your facility through various techniques of um building better drawings, assimilating data, bringing it together, potentially even scanning it out in the field, laser scanning it. Um, and so that's that's one method. Or to, to also fundamentally change the way that we hand information over from engineering to operations. And we start to hand over newer projects in their really mature, sophisticated form. So they're a digital twin from the very inception. And that's that's the ideal case is that you take a modern project and you just carry it forward in a very smart fashion. Um, So you've got two versions of this happening in the industry. One is building up from the bottom as building and the other is maintaining this intelligence through the handover process. So can uh, older facilities uh, kind of be brought into it, even though they were not, they never had a twin. There was, I mean, they're old. I mean, there many facilities in the Gulf of Mexico are nearing their, you know, their nominal life and there's interest in preserving them and maintaining the opportunity to go after uh, more resources should they become, you know, known. And so this, uh, 
extending the life of aging facilities is, you know, a concept that's of value both to uh, potential investors as well as the government who in, you know, the Gulf of Mexico um, is the owner of the, the resources. So those leases and, and the um, national value of those resources is depending on the ability to produce them through those facilities. Um, it's thought that perhaps no one's going to go after some of those those resources in deeper and deeper water if they have to start scratch with a brand new facility. But mm-hmm. maybe if they can extend the life of existing facilities and tie back or something, that story. What, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. There? Well, and the concept of the digital twin is not a whole, it's not a one or a zero. You don't either just have the perfect one or have nothing. It's a journey. Um, you're going to look at what provides the most value. So, you know, when you're trying to, you know, make a decision on whether or not you wanted to take on that journey, it's a value proposition. Um, and you've got to look at, for example, if we look at many facilities that are that are trying to operate and they want to operate safely and efficiently, well, they look at what are the areas of their facility that take the most effort to maintain and, and one of those is, for example, instrumentation. It's critical. Reading of the sensors plays into the control system, plays into the safety aspect, plays into the really the capabilities of that facility to be able to continue to run is how are you monitoring it? And it's also one of those disciplines where you have a lot of small wiring, you have a lot of small signals and a lot of maintenance. And so it's a primary starter for a digital twin because you say, okay, I need an accurate representation of how that control system was built and wired and put together. And so a lot of our clients start with the instrumentation of their system and make sure that it's all documented properly. And then they have this digital version that they can go to and they can find a source of truth when they're going to plan their next, make the decision on whether they're going to do an upgrade, whether they're going to keep a facility alive or whether they need to stop working with it. And it can go from there to piping drawings and up to a three-dimensional model. But essentially, you can build a digital twin at a pace that makes sense with your value proposition. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So um, being able to, so do you get drawings out of this capability that you might not be able to have before, may, would not have been able to have before because you didn't have this digital representation of your facilities and then well, make I think, adjustments. I mean, some of us need the, uh, you know, be able to visualize it. Uh, yeah, I understand. Drawing, I, guess. I understand completely. Um, so if you think of, a, of an operating facility, yes, it had drawings uh, when it was created and hopefully they were maintained, but oftentimes they can get, Confuse. They can get, you know, you have multiple copies. You have different projects that got started and didn't finish. You have various red lines that maybe never, you know, drawing changes and never made it back to a master. And so when you're working in a paper environment, you have a real challenge there. Our industry has a challenge where your your papers can get shuffled. What is the real source of truth? How can I find it? Consequently, a lot of projects have phases of the upfront project where they have a survey, where they've got to go out and actually sort of review, you know, physically what they thought they had. And what what the industry is trying to do is to make that better 
by having a better source of truth. And so when I say that the digital twin, it is just a collection of the piping drawings and the structural drawings and the instrument and electrical drawings, but it's a, it's a, it's a coordinated center to really manage nucleus of data that is a source of truth. And um, if you if you think of, um, you know, I think I, I brought up recently the analogy of a house, right? If if you own a home if, if, and, and you bought it from someone, you may not know how the wiring was designed in the wall. You may not know where the plumbing is. Um, and when you have a problem, you're forced to investigate. You're forced to look and wonder and say, okay, I might have to cut a hole here. I might have to survey and investigate what's going on so that I can track why a fan might not be working or a light might not be working. In the industrial world, you can't really afford that uncertainty, but some of it is there. And so if you think of your home, if you had a perfect blueprint of your home where all the wiring and all of the plumbing was and where every bit and, and piece that was used to construct it was perfectly um, uh, gathered for you. And every time you had a problem, you could just review it and know that you had the right solution before you had to cut any inadvertent holes or, or you know, guess on any particular type of component that you need. And that you take that process, that thought process out to the industry. And even though we'd like to think that every facility we have is perfectly documented, we don't have all of those blueprints. That's the fact. And the, the industry is attempting to fill that gap and to improve. And the, the terminology that's most frequently associated with that is building and maintaining a digital twin, a digital blueprint of your, of your plant and your facility so that you right. can make better decisions right. and safer decisions. Yeah. 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 So do you have any stories of people having, uh, not having had this and then they get it and that's, you know, really advances their position value proposition wise or, um, or tragic, I don't want to say tragedies, but you know, situations where had there been this knowledge, um, they, something could have been prevented or, how how do we think about this in terms of well, necessity? Well, surely, surely you have the safety impacts because you have every day you have technicians and operators going out to work on hazardous materials, right? And so you want to make sure that you're putting, if they are going to open a panel or if they are going to open a valve, that the information that you used to send them on that task was the right information. Um as, as far as um, kind of s- specific e- examples, um, you know, when, when you have a engineering product, uh, engineering is, is often looking at, at something from multiple angles. You know, you have an isometric view, you have a, um, a particular uh, layout view, and that means different drawings, right? So if I look at something from one perspective, I make a drawing for it, I issue that. I look at the same thing from another perspective and I make a drawing and I issue it. Well then, over time, if I make a change, do I know that I have to update both of those if they're separate pieces of paper? Uh, and that's mm-hmm. one of the challenges is to be so thorough to create a billion dollar you know, project, plant, do you have to have different viewpoints? And so 
when those are all separately managed drawings, like in the old days that you mentioned, you have a real risk that you can't keep them up to date. But when it's actually coming from one smart nucleus of data, like a three-dimensional model, so it's one 3D model, but I can spin it, Elena, and I can print it out one way for the fabrication team, and then I can flatten it, and I can give it to another team in a different way, but I actually only have one source of truth, that's what you're aiming toward. And the, the concept, if you apply that across all your disciplines, of bringing it together in one data set that gets printed in different views for different people, but ultimately is managed in one spot so that when it gets reprinted in the future, it's right and both, both outputs, that's an important concept. So it's really about, I kind of think of it as kind of the tortoise versus the hare. Um, you know, the, the tortoise is a slow and steady version of having a plan, having a simple nucleus and sticking to it. Um, the hair is kind of the, well, I'll create a drawing today. I'll give it out. I'll let someone do work. I'll create another drawing tomorrow. Let someone else do work. We'll reconcile all those when it's easy, right? We'll bring them back in and we'll bring them. It's hard to do though, because you get scattered. And so what we're seeing in the industry is a consolidation down to bigger, more consolidated systems that can be a longer term source of truth. That, yeah, does that make yeah. sense? So, so do you absolutely know, and it's a wonderful, wonderful approach. It's very exciting, gives you some comfort, you know, some security that you kind of will know what you have and you have a a more straightforward way to validate that you know what you have. So, so what happens to this um, information as you come in and you help, you know, integrate the engineering with the IT? What happens with all that data and the information? Who who gets it? Who keeps it? How does that work? Well, what we're seeing now is a trend toward the owner operator really having more more ownership of their information. In in the previous. Uh, sort of modes of operation, what would happen is, as an owner, I have a project idea and I can I contract an engineering company to build it. Well, the, the engineering company, the EPC in this case, Engineering Procurement and Construction, they would own all of this information up until a handover point. But that is challenging because I have other players that need to be involved. I have a team to construct it and commission it and start it up. And so we're all competing for access to that information. Um, and then ultimately to try to hand over a very complex set of information to me as the owner um, is, a, is a difficult uh, challenge. And so what we're seeing is the owner operator starting to be involved in that information earlier. And even in some cases, hosting the information. So if you can think of the next major capital project where the eventual long-term owner is the original keeper of a three-dimensional model and a smart drawing system. And essentially, the engineering company, the commissioning company, the startup company, multiple engineering companies oftentimes, because you have vendors, would actually all log in and work in a consolidated owner engineering tool. And then eventually there isn't a handover it's really just one team phases out, next team comes in, they phase out, operations comes in. And what that does is that gives you 
You don't have that data loss from one handover point to another. You have one uh, standardized source of truth, and then you can maintain that all the way through for the you know 50 years that you're going to operate the plant. And then everyone wants to do data analytics, and they want to do improved uh, you know I- improvements on the way they operate. And that is what we're seeing as the best methodology for getting to a point where you have data, quality data to be able to do those operational analytics and the long-term improvements for your facility. Yeah, that sounds really exciting. Makes me, if I had such um, assets and then I had such information, I would feel very powerful um, to be able to manage and and plan uh, for the future for these facilities and for actually for investment and to improve the value proposition. That's very exciting. Absolutely. I'm sorry, we're almost at the end of time. Is there other, are there other things you want to share with us about the, about the oil sector, about the, the, the need in the industry for this kind of uh, capability and, and the things that your company does and um, how it helps people work together perhaps? Oh, well, you know, the thing I guess I'll, I'll, I'll add is that um, energy is so critical. The energy that we have in order to be able to have the, obviously the, the uh, safe environment to work in, in terms of heating and cooling and, and nourishment and everything we need as humans. And I think sometimes in this, in this discussion about uh, one energy source versus another, we we lose track of just how important the fundamental energy is itself. This isn't, and and oil and gas is one of those that's still such a such a vital part right now of us, especially here in the U.S. You know, being able to have a reliable energy source that fuels our innovation, that fuels our our students to be able to learn, and our companies to be able to thrive. And so, you know, I heard a story recently about one of our our colleagues who had traveled to South Africa and they were having rolling blackouts because they didn't have reliable energy. And even, right. even hospitals, you know, were having and, and times where you didn't have power and, and growing up in Texas and, and, you know, living my 45 years here, I've never had to experience that. And I think, you know, we're somewhat spoiled by that, but the energy itself is just such an enabler for um, for the good uh, of our of our uh, existence, and so ultimately, being able for us to help move the digital side of engineering forward to make it able to operate safely and efficiently, and help provide that fundamental energy, is just really an exciting uh, place for us to be in the industry, and uh, we're just happy to to try to help with that, Alina. Oh, that's a wonderful, that's, that's wonderful. It brings it all together and, and really um, expresses how the efficiency provided by the kinds of services that your company is providing really adds to that and, um, and helps ensure our national security, energy security, and leads to greater environmental sustainability of the way we operate in oil and gas. So now yeah, I, I think it's fabulous. 100%. And when you build these digital twin type centers of knowledge, security is really critical. And that's that's one of our roles is to facilitate secure access for all of the parties in order to be able to do what we were discussing. And um, 
And that that's certainly a, a critical element of this now is uh, cybersecurity and um, and really ma- and making sure that that data is managed well. Mike Antosh, Vice President of Sales, Prolytics. Thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing all about the great contributions your organization is making to oil and gas and energy. All right. Thank you, Elena, for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Elena Melkert, your host for Oil and Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.